So today is the 6th of September, 2021. We've come together for the evening chanting session to cultivate the recollection of the Buddha. In this Buddha Nusati, the recollection of the Buddha as a meditation object is an appropriate meditation object for those of a faith character type. This uh, recollection of the Buddha, recollection of the Dhamma, recollection of the Sangha, these are important uh, meditation practices uh, for such a type. One can also recollect the generosity that one has done, or the uh, virtue, the sila, that one has cared for, or the qualities of devas, uh, devanusati, such as hiri and otapa, the shame, uh, shrinking away from wrongdoing, fear of the results of wrongdoing. So one recollects the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha as the object of one's mind. And in this way, rapture can arise easily. The mind can become firm and stable in samadhi. One can also use the meditation word with the in and out breath, uh, boot on the in breath and do on the out breath. Or in the in-breath, bhutto, you can also do. So one uses this meditation object to bring the mind to peace, to collectedness, to samadhi. And sometimes the great teachers uh, have spoken about other ways to bring the mind to peace, such as thinking about a friend that you have uh, love for, loving kindness for, or you think of something uh, that makes your heart feel at ease. Think of something that brings a sense of ease and well-being to the heart. And this is the mind that's not distracted and thinking here and there, but a mind that's uh, relaxed and at ease. To think of something that you like that brings you ease in that way. So these are methods to bring the mind to peace all the same and so we think, uh, recollect the Buddha's qualities as an important primary practice. And one can also contemplate the Dhamma. And one thinks, well, what uh, use, what value uh, does this have, this contemplation of the Dhamma? One may also think, when one contemplates, does one use thought? <coughs> so one has the wisdom that arises from listening for instance, right now we're listening to the Dhamma, or perhaps we've read some Dhamma in the past, and wisdom can arise from this as well, and this can bring one's mind to understanding to a certain degree. And one can use uh, thinking in another way, thinking about the Dhamma, thinking to the point of understanding more clearly to bringing, or to giving rise to understanding so this is a type of wisdom as well. One can also contemplate and investigate in the mind. When the mind uh, isn't yet peaceful, then one contemplates like this and uses thought, and this can bring the mind to peace, give rise to samadhi uh, deeper than before. And so one investigates the Dhamma to make the Dhamma more clearly even just when we're sitting normally like we are now, whatever 
we feel or we think, we can ask, uh, we can bring about, or we can use questioning, say, well, wh why is this body not self? Why is that the case? And this can be a wisdom that arises from thinking. We think, well, is it a self? Well, the Buddha taught that it's not self, isn't it? And so we see it's the elements of air, earth, fire, and water gathered together. So one can think and contemplate like this, uh, reflect like this, and see that in truth there's no self there to be found uh, just like that. And when one contemplates like this, greed, aversion, and delusion can't arise. So this is wisdom arising to a small degree from the use of thinking. So one contemplates and thinks, uh, uses thought like this uh, continuously all the time. It's one way to bring the mind to peace, to samadhi. It's using wisdom for the sake of bringing the mind to peace. So we contemplate, investigate like this, and the Buddha taught to develop the mind like this, to bring the mind to peace and collectedness, to stillness, uh, to investigate for the sake of seeing the Dhamma. So the Buddha is the one who realized the truth for himself. He attained to knowledge, attained to full awakening, to arhantship, cut off all craving and attachment in his heart, saw that all materiality and mentality is not self. He investigated and contemplated like this. So form or materiality, for instance, we contemplate as well. We see that it's uncertain, it's unstable, something that's ever-changing, it can't last at all. We see that it's not self. So we see that, we understand that. And so we uh, contemplate and we think uh, more deeply about this. We contemplate with the Dhamma. And when the mind is collected well, then we can use uh, Dhamma Vichaya, the investigation of the Dhamma, which is a one of the seven bojangas, the factors to awakening, which are the factors that help us to see the Dhamma clearly. So when the mind has more energy and strength from samadhi, then we can use this quality of Dhamma investigation. But at first we use thinking uh, the wisdom wisdom and thinking together. We use this when the mind isn't yet peaceful. But this thinking for the sake of wisdom, it's not just proliferation and busyness of mind. Because this busyness of mind is the mind that's thinking, following greed, aversion, and delusion. This thinking and proliferating according to defilement. This gives rise to sadness, uh, low moods, uh, bad moods in the heart. It gives rise to liking and disliking. So this is proliferation in thinking. But when we use wisdom, then we think, we use uh, memory and perception, but we think uh, as our meditation practice, we use wisdom. So we can recollect the qualities of the Buddha. And this is one way of using our thinking 
to bring our mind to peace and collectedness. We can contemplate the teachings of the Buddha, for instance, contemplating the theme of not-self, to understand this more clearly. So this is uh, foundational in our practice of, of samadhi. We contemplate for the sake of clear understanding, contemplate the Dhamma, see that in truth there's no self there to be found. And when the mind is gathered in samadhi, then wisdom arises. So therefore we use our thinking to bring our mind to peace, and this is correct. So we contemplate uh, an aspect of the Dhamma, a Dhamma teaching, in order to understand more clearly. And we can also use this investigation of Dhamma with regard to a certain Dhamma theme or teaching. For instance, body and mind, materiality and mentality are not self. So we can understand this more clearly. So practice like this, use wisdom uh, to bring the mind to peace. Usually in the present day, if people just repeat the mantra, Bhutto, Bhutto, uh, all the time, then the mind won't accept this. Uh, so we have to, because we think that we want wisdom, we hear that wisdom is um, a great quality and we just want to go straight to wisdom. We don't want this tranquility and peace. We just want to get wisdom straight away because we've learned that wisdom is the way to realize the end of suffering. So this is the mind jumping ahead of itself. So we use wisdom to contemplate, use thinking, investigation, seeking to understand cause and effect, use this quality of Dhamma investigation, which is a quality that can help us succeed in many different things. This quality of investigation can help us in worldly ways as well. But we use it in our Dhamma practice for the sake of seeing the Dhamma, for the sake of giving rise to wisdom. So we see that this investigation, it's one of the factors for awakening, one of the qualities we need to awaken to the Dhamma. And we need uh, peace and collectedness. We need this quality of samadhi to be sufficient as well. So may you practice to the point of proficiency in this. Uh, you can think, contemplate, investigate to bring the mind to stillness and samadhi. And when the mind is still, then we see the body is just a heap of these natural elements of earth, air, fire, and water that have temporarily gathered together. And this body must inevitably die, degrade, and pass away, and decompose. So we contemplate to bring the mind to stillness. We investigate like this, seeking out cause and effect. And we see that uh, when the corpse is there, sometimes there's food in the stomach that hasn't yet digested. So at this point, we can really see how truly the body is just a pile of the elements. When there's no breath left, then there's no value. Uh, the body has no value anymore. 
that's just the elements, uh, just a pile of the elements there. So when one sees this clearly, the mind can become very disenchanted, uh, weary of the world, and seek for a way out of this predicament. It can bring the mind to samadhi, to stillness. So we have mindfulness, and we know that this is um, one method to bring the mind to peace, the method of thinking, using wisdom to bring the mind to peace. And at this point, when the mind is peaceful, knowing can arise again, but it's not from proliferation. In the beginning, we use uh, proliferation with uh, some degree of collectedness to bring the mind uh, to more peace. And when the mind is uh, truly peaceful and still, then the mind has uh, can have proliferation arise according to convention. But this knowing arises simultaneous with the proliferation. So it's, it's a direct knowing. It's not getting lost in the proliferation. So at this point, this is wisdom arising from meditation practice, wisdom arising from bhavana. So seeing the Dhamma is like this. It's not the mind proliferating here and there, but it's a clear knowing arising simultaneous with the beginning of thinking in the mind. So knowing arises uh, just in this way. Light, illumination arises, knowledge arises, clear seeing arises. And perhaps we might not realize all the way to our hunchship at this point. <clears throat> but we can realize the path or fruit of stream entry. And this can arise when one is listening to the Dhamma as well, or when, when one is thinking according to the Dhamma, seeing that all things are just convention, uh, names are just names, like we have the meditation hall, the, uh, the Bodhisattva temple, the Chedi, the robe, the bowl, uh, different names for different things, monastics and lay people. We see that it's all convention. So this is contemplating according to Dhamma, investigating according to Dhamma, and then peace arises, samadhi arises, and then clear knowing arises again. So we go from the wisdom from thinking to the wisdom that arises directly from meditation practice. And this allows us to see even more deeply to a deeper level. And this isn't just a thinking or busyness in the mind. Because this busyness of mind is something that agitates or annoys the heart. But this type of thinking, it's a method to bring the mind to peace for the sake of wisdom. So practice like this, we can use the method of contemplation as our main meditation practice in order for wisdom to arise. And then samadhi develops according to uh, where our practice is at, develops to varying degrees. Right now our samadhi may only be a little bit so we recollect and contemplate our meditation object, whether it's 
the recollection of the qualities of the Buddha, the recollection of death, the recollection of the four elements. These can all bring our mind to peace, give rise to rapture. This we can call kanaka samadhi, momentary concentration. And we continue to contemplate, we contemplate a lot. This can give rise to upajara samadhi, a neighborhood concentration, a deeper level of concentration. So practice like this in order to develop and train the mind. In the beginning, it may be difficult to do. We get some samadhi, uh, but then it degrades according to causes and conditions. Then our mind is just agitated and chaotic again. So therefore we must have effort again. We must put forth effort to train our minds again. Practice on this path of dana, sila, and bhavana, generosity, virtue, and meditation. And the laity have this quality of generosity already. These qualities of self-sacrifice and giving they have these qualities well established all the time. But then we keep practicing and higher than this we see the drawbacks of the uh, agitation in our behavior of body and speech and therefore we undertake the practice of sila, of virtue. So one who's intent in their dhamma practice will practice the five precepts, the eight precepts, or the 10 precepts, or the 227 precepts. And then further on from this, one develops the mind uh, to become peaceful and collected, unified in samadhi. Because if one starts to practice virtue, one sees that the mind is covered over with greed, aversion, and delusion, with sleepiness, restlessness, uh, doubt, uh, craving, or ill will. These cover over and uh, prevent the mind from becoming collected and gathered together. So therefore we can use contemplation for the sake of unifying the mind in samadhi. This is something that we're able to do. So we practice this all the time develop the mind like this, bring the mind from momentary concentration to neighborhood concentration. And at this point, the body and mind feel light and at ease. At this point, we really see the value of samadhi. Because before we may have seen that, well, wisdom is really what's important. We only want wisdom. We feel like, well, we don't need samadhi. We don't have a need for that. But in our Dhamma practice, these qualities come as a pair, samadhi and wisdom. We develop samadhi for the sake of wisdom, and we can also use wisdom to develop samadhi. And when we get samadhi, we really see the value of it. Because the mind that's gathered in samadhi already, the body and mind feel light and at ease. And if one gets any sense impressions or moods, one can put them down easily the mind that's in samadhi, one can teach it to not cling to things, and the mind can accept it in that state. One can teach the mind, oh, things are not self, all right? Uh, things aren't me or mine, okay? And this is, uh, and then the mind's able to accept it. Wisdom can arise easily. So this is using samadhi as the foundation.
one can also contemplate, well, why am I angry? Why am I agitated? One sees that it's unstable, it's impermanent, it's uncertain. Then the mind becomes cool and gathered in samadhi. Because the mind with heat uh, doesn't have this quality of coolness and samadhi. The mind with samadhi is like a mind in an air-conditioned room or mind in cool weather. One feels very much at ease. So the mind is cool and at ease. One sees that any amount of greed that arises is a kind of heat in the mind. Aversion is a kind of heat. Delusion is a heat in the mind. It's nothing but agitation and trouble for the mind. So we see that the mind that's cool and in samadhi, this is a heavenly state. Samadhi is heaven. It's a kind of happiness and it uh, has wisdom as well. But it's not that we just get this samadhi and we're stuck in it, but we have wisdom as well in order to see clearly. We think, we contemplate, we investigate uh, according to the Dhamma. To see the body in truth is something that's not beautiful. It's just composed of these elements of earth, air, fire, and water. And the mind that's in samadhi can understand this to a deeper level. So we contemplate in this way. So before we may just had the energy of kanaka samadhi, momentary concentration, and then with upajara samadhi, things become more clear. So we try to do this every single day, to practice in this way continuously, to contemplate the Dhamma, to have effort in this, to be sincere and really set one's heart on it, to train one's mind every single day, to train the mind all the time, to have uh, wisdom for the sake of samadhi, and then the samadhi we use for the sake of developing wisdom. We can contemplate five external body parts, uh, hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth, and skin. See that the body is something that degrades and decomposes. So explain this to the mind uh, so that the mind's able to understand the body is something uncertain, impermanent, unstable. And the more one trains like this, the more one can easily recollect an image of these various body parts to see that the body is of the nature to degrade. So we practice like this, train our minds like this, to give rise to knowledge. And when the mind is collected in samadhi, then this knowledge arises of its own accord. There's no need for one to do anything at this point. The mind gathers together in stillness, and one uh, sees the body as not-self. The mind separates from the body, and then at this point the mind uh, crosses over to the other shore, to the Lokutara state above and beyond the world. But there's one foot still on the shore of samsara, the shore of suffering, and one foot on the shore of liberation. So we can call this the gotrabhu jitta, and this knowledge arises. 
And one sees that one has crossed over uh, to the other shore with one foot, and one foot is still on this shore, and then one comes back to the shore of suffering. But one maybe has read the text and doesn't understand, well, why did I come back to this shore of samsara? Why did I come back to suffering? Why am I uh, still on the shore of suffering? Why can't I just go straight to the shore of liberation uh, beyond the world? So this is uh, something Dhamma practitioners may experience because Dhamma practitioner may have a hot heart, maybe hot-hearted like this, because they've seen this state of freedom already, and they think, well, why don't I just go there straight away? Why can't I just go there uh, completely. And the answer is, is because there's still clinging, there's still attachment, and therefore the mind doesn't go all the way to the shore of freedom. We can compare this to a monk who, or a person who wants to ordain as a monk, but they're not yet ready to ordain. So they like the idea of ordaining, they want to be a monk, and they like uh, living like a monk, but they're just not ready yet. So they go home uh, back to the, their life as a layperson and prepare themselves. So we keep practicing, we keep contemplating, and then one day uh, through our practice and contemplation we can see clearly. For instance, seeing the skin or seeing the hair seeing any of the various body parts, seeing clearly, then knowing arises. For instance, one may cut one's hair, and the hair hasn't even yet hit the ground, but the mind gives rise to clear knowledge that, oh, this is not self, not me or mine. This is seeing the Dhamma to a deeper level, seeing it deeper than before, seeing that the body is impermanent, unstable, uh, exists as a convention. We can call it a type of organic machine or biological machine. Like a robot, there's really no one there. Not a being, not a self, not a me or a mine, not a you or a yours. Well, we can say, what is it? Well, it's just what it is. The body is just the body. It's like a uh, an artificial intelligence machine, like an organic machine that has a brain. And if uh, humans build an artificial intelligence machine that can speak and do actions like a human, perhaps we'll understand this point more clearly. The machine uses uh, an energy to operate its machinery, just like humans use uh, their bodily energy to operate their brain. So we see this clearly, this is seeing the Dhamma. We can recollect the story of Venerable Siwali Mahatera. When he went to ordain, he was getting his head shaved uh, for the sake of his ordination. And when his hair fell, he saw clearly and realized stream entry right at that point. Then another bit of hair fell, and he realized the, the next stage of enlightenment, once returning. Another bit of hair fell, and he realized non-returning, the third stage of awakening. 
and another bit of hair fell and he realized arahantship, complete enlightenment. This is because his spiritual virtues, his parami, he had already cultivated them for a long time to a high degree. He had developed his parami a lot for a hundred thousand eons already. He was one of the 80 great disciples of the Lord Buddha. So for ourselves, if we haven't yet attained to the Dhamma in this way, then we should practice a lot, cultivate our parami a lot. So we may have various types of knowledge or ability. We may have the ability to gain a lot of material wealth and money. And our ability may be more advanced or greater than others. If we have merit, then we're capable of doing this, of obtaining knowledge, obtaining the skill to acquire material wealth. So therefore, in our Dhamma practice, we must be able to, to do and achieve in our Dhamma practice as well. It's not like we just achieve results in our Dhamma practice easily. It's not like the results just float on the air and land in our laps like that. We need to have patient endurance as well to have patient endurance with the moods and sense impressions that we encounter. Sometimes the practice is hard to do. One may even uh, cry or make loud noises, sometimes even for three months, and one can get energy from one's uh, family, like mother, father, or siblings, or one's Krubhajan, one's great teacher. We can see examples like singers or sports players who train themselves with sincerity. They are able to achieve uh, like this. They can be the best in their country, the best in their continent, or the best in the world. So therefore, for Dhamma practitioners, if one is sincere, then one must be able to achieve results uh, in the same way. One gives rise to clear uh, knowing, and one has already studied and learned many of the Buddha's teachings already, or listened to many teachings from the great teachers. So one has gained this knowledge already, therefore one must practice, one must put forth effort, uh, set one's heart on the practice. And then if one does this with sincerity, one must realize the results <laughs> and realize the fruits of the practice as well. So one sees the body parts, the head of, or hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth, and skin. And then wisdom arises, the mind becomes firm and stable in the meditation practice. One at first uses one's thinking to bring the mind to peace. Then one can understand more clearly the mind becomes uh, open, receptive, and can accept uh, the teachings at this point. So all these practices we do for the sake of samadhi, for bringing the mind to peace and collectedness, to know clearly. And this clear knowing, it's not proliferation, but it's wisdom that arises uh, directly from meditation. And at this point, freedom arises fruits of Dhamma arises, clear understanding arises. So therefore we need to have effort, we need to put forth effort in our practice. 
If we don't put forth effort, then we won't realize the fruits because the Buddha is in our hearts already. And if we don't uh, make effort, then the Buddha doesn't arise for us. It's just like rubbing sticks together for the sake of making a fire. If we don't rub them together, then the fire doesn't arise. If we don't seek out the Buddha, make effort to find the Buddha, then we won't uh, find the Buddha. If we just uh, engage in our work and livelihood and seek out uh, delicious food and pleasures, then the Buddha won't arise in our hearts. This is the mind that's lost in the world, lost in convention. But one with wisdom will have effort to seek out the Buddha. One will set one's heart on it with sincerity. So we see that one becomes free from suffering because of one's effort, not because of anything else, but it's because of one's effort. Sorry, not because of a lack of effort, but because of effort. So we see that the Buddha taught, the Buddha is right in front of us already. So we have to put forth effort, have sacrifice, be intent in the practice, because we practice for the sake of Nibbana, for the sake of realizing Nibbana, Nibbana Sachi Kiryan, Sachi Karanat Gataya. So whether a monk or a novice or a layperson, may you set your hearts and be intent to see the Dhamma clearly. So you contemplate, investigate, and reflect on the Dhamma for the sake of bringing the mind to collectedness. Contemplate. Contemplation for the sake of samadhi is the correct method. This is something that one is able to do. This is one method of Dhamma practice. So today is a Lunar Observance Day, the new moon. So may you set your hearts on this practice. May you contemplate to understand and see clearly for the sake of attaining the Dhamma. So may you all be intent in your practice.